for the week of March 8th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today we are reviewing the third episode of the seventh and final season of The Clone Wars, and to help me with this is John. John, what did you think of this episode? This was more fun. This um, felt like a fitting conclusion to the the storyline that we've been building over the last few episodes. They didn't really cover any new ground, but as far as you know, just an action-heavy, fun climax to uh, the whole caper, I, I thought this one was working pretty good. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and get into the discussion of episode three on the wings of Kiradax. Let's do it. So last week, Rex, the Bad Batch, and Anakin went to the source of the broadcast that informed the Separatists of the Republic's battle tactics, which proved that Echo was alive, but very much disfigured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so through this, we have, of course, Tech, who is having difficulties disconnecting Echo. Mm-hmm. and Echo is only remembering the Citadel. So what's what's kind of going on here? Uh, well, when we last left our heroes, they had just discovered Echo. They weren't really sure what to do with him because he was bound by, you know, tubes and uh, brain cybernetic implant things. And, you know, he, he was he was a hot mess and they knew that they couldn't just grab him and run. So, you know, they, they get the, uh, the, the tech, uh, whiz, uh, of the group to try and sort it all out. But of course it's never going to be that simple because we have the bad guys closing in on us. We, we get chicken droids aplenty, uh, right outside the gates. And we know that Watt Tambor is on his way. So right out of the gate, they set us up for kind of a, a constant, fighting the clock, you know, staying one step ahead of the enemy. Like we know this is going to be kind of a, a tense extraction from here on out. Um, that's where they leave us. Uh, obviously they do figure out how to crack the, you know, the encryption or whatever it is, the cipher, whatever it is that's got him rigged into the system. They're able to extract him from, from, uh, the console and, uh, make a quick escape, but not without, uh, you know, some, some interesting interchanges. We get a new sort of life obliterating orb technology mm-hmm. that that's dispatched on them. that They just, uh, narrowly escape. So we got a lot going on in this opening scene. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of how we kick things off. So is the idea that this just obliterates any organic life? Is that, is that kind of what it's oh. going after? Cause I, cause whenever it comes back, you know, it says, well, no organic life was found. Right. So is that the main goal here? Well, see, now this is where it's kind of fun to have seen the, uh, the work print animatic versions of these because, right before they get pinned down in this room or sorry, as they're pinned down in this room and, and we know what Tambor is outside, they demonstrate the fury of this orb and they take out one of the natives, like have it basically melt him into a pile of goo. Uh-huh. So in that version of the episode, there was no question about what this menace was and what the implications were if it made it into the room. Cause it doesn't really take any time to do its deed. So I think it was a smart cut. I think it's sometimes fun to not have that revealed and mm-hmm. leave it to your imagination to know what the menace is. And also, I don't think they're looking for gratuitous death scenes of sympathetic characters, right? It's it's okay when droids get cut down. It's okay when bad guys uh, right. get their comeuppance. But these are just the innocent natives that were haplessly dragged into this by, you know, Anakin and crew. Uh, so 
I think they realized that maybe that's just not how they wanted to kick off the episode with, with something that would be kind of a gut punch and a tragedy. But anyways, yes, this this uh, orb, that's exactly what it does. It will gooify anything within um, beam reach. Gotcha. Well, yeah, because I had that question like, OK, is this going to like what exactly is it going to do? So that's actually really useful to know that at one point the draft turned a living organic being <laughs> into goo which is actually a very effective method if you're working with a techno army because of course you're not working with exactly. the most organic piece of life so yeah that makes a whole lot of sense and so i'm glad in this instance that you watched those early mm. drafts of it's this kind of the counterbalance to what the bad batch does with the droids they right. always use one of those like electric emp kind of devastator things that only takes out you know, artificial droid tech. So this is kind of, yeah, the inverse of that droids can walk through it. No problem, but yeah, heaven help you if you happen to be alive. And then of course, luckily echo is helping them and get out of here. And he of course has the layout of all of, of this entire building that helps them escape. So the implication here that I'm kind of picking up is like, okay, how detached is echo actually from like, even though he's physically disconnected right from the separatists, like, but how, actually disconnected is he if he remembers the layouts of all this stuff or or is it because he was just plugged in for so long he memorized it i mean it's there's a lot of questions surrounding echo and this episode definitely ends with more questions i feel like than answers right well they do uh, they they hint at kind of the nature of of what he's able to do first off he's got a a r2 interface screwdriver arm right so he can patch into the system when needed to pull up maps or open doors or whatever but he also explains when they're when they're traveling through some of the corridors trying to get out he he explains that yeah they were able to patch into me but Mm -hmm. the flip side of that is i was able to patch into them so he isn't suggesting that he's still kind of beholden to the the network you know he's not still plugged into the matrix but uh, yeah, ov- obviously, you know, that, that data interchange went both ways. Of course, you know, we get that ominous little note at the end. So uh, that's, you know, that's not a guarantee, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the way he was presenting it at least. Yeah. And then of course they escape and have to go out on a tight rope and you take Wrecker <laughs> out there who gets his yet another moment of him being afraid of heights. And I thought as I was watching this, that this is where that payoff was going to come. And it kind of does, right? <laughs> like he, he rescues one of his, one of his crew uh, by kind of hurling himself off of this tight rope, if you will, and kind of holding on with, uh, you know, one arm catching him with the other. So, I mean, we get that kind of payoff, but I still think that there's going to be yet another big payoff because this is two episodes in a row that they're alluding to this fear of height of wrecker yeah not just that we haven't lost any main characters like you kind of need the emotional heft of of a sacrifice somewhere along the the way um i thought that wrecker was gonna meet his end Mm -hmm. in the whatever the the chamber there where they started the episode where they're extracting echo because as everyone else is you know up Mm -hmm. in the the hatch he's down there he doesn't have a seemingly obvious way to get up there but he threw everyone up there and he was fine with that. So you kind of got the sense that he was ready to stick around and just go down with the ship as he's setting these charges. Of course, you know, Anakin pulls him up and uh, he doesn't have to sacrifice himself and the, you know, the charges are already set. So there's no reason why he has to stick around to like detonate them. So it doesn't play out there, but I thought that's what they were going for because they were starting to turn his character a lot more towards uh, a hero. You know, he, 
in the first episode, you wonder he could go either way. He's kind of like this blunt instrument, but he has to be directed to do something good with it. Whereas now you see him making obvious moral choices to put everyone before him. Like you said, on the catwalk there, he doesn't hesitate for a second to, even though, you know, he's squawking the whole time about how he's afraid of heights. Uh, when push comes to shove, he's going to absolutely reach out for his comrades. So they've really invested in his character and they've done more to establish kind of what his Achilles heel is. So I'm right there with you that that could certainly have, uh, have more to, to say in the, in the following episodes, but you know, we won't know that till uh, we get to him. Yeah. And the, the other thing I liked about, uh, these flying droids was one, they look really cool and it kind of, <laughs> of course you get into like the nitty gritty issues of, well, how come we didn't see them in attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith? You know, well, I, I can look past all that, but the thing that I really liked, and I was thinking about this because everyone's first introduction, at least from the film standpoint to Watt Tambor was in the attack of the clones. And he says mm-hmm. one line and that line is basically the techno army is at your disposal. Whenever he's talking to, uh, Dooku and the rest of the separatists in that meeting yes. on Geonosis. So uh, this seems like a pretty big payoff from that. And what the Clone Wars is doing great is it's showing the the behind the scenes of the Clone Wars where you get to see what it was actually like. And when Luke makes a comment in A New Hope where he's like, wait, you fought in the Clone Wars? And then we get that in the, kind of this prequel era of films. And we're just like, well, I mean, not a whole lot happened in the in the Clone Wars as far as like what we saw. But this, you really get to see the danger and even just the the tactics of this techno army like yeah they would be pretty pretty cool here and so i liked seeing that and seeing more of Watt tambor because it, that comment kind of just falls flat unless you get to see what his army sure. actually brought to the table yeah a lot of people have made the comment over the years that the clone wars cartoon did wonders in rehabilitating the movies because it does that world building that you don't have time to do in the movies. And it fleshes out characters that are not very elegantly established in the movies just because maybe, you know, Lucas is writing limitations. Maybe the, the characters, um, you know, aren't as, as fully realized as we would have liked them to be. But when you have all this time in the clone wars to, flesh out these ideas that were swirling around in Lucas's head. You, you can tell that his imagination was so much bigger than, than those films would really allow, which is really saying something because, you know, he has a knack for putting, you know, big imagery up on the screen, but yeah, this is sprawling and there is so much detail to it. Like when Lucas figures out what the clone wars is, he doesn't just stop at, okay, here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. He says, okay, where's the funding coming from and who's building the droids. And you know, how do we get up to this scale and how do they build these big ships? And so you get, you get really elegant answers. Like, yes, you've got the Nemoidians who are the, the trade federation and you know, they're the, the crap disturbers. But once they start ruffling feathers, all these other factions, like, mm-hmm. The, the people that are in control of industry and the people that are control of commerce, um, all of them, you know, now have a reason to confederate and get behind, you know, Dooku. And so you get all of that stuff, uh, that Lucas was probably enamored with. You get to start seeing that, you know, presented in a way that we can digest rather than, like you said, just that one sort of round table scene where everyone gets one line and you're like, okay, who's that? And who's that? And who's that? And what's this mean? Now it all starts to make sense. And when you go back and watch the movies now, mm-hmm. you have that much larger world in your head. And that's why the Clone Wars really, at the end of the day, is probably the greatest, <laughs> you know, Star Wars property, uh, you know, that we've had to date. 
Yeah, and one of the things that I like getting into, I like kind of getting into this foreshadowing and darkness that has been present. And if people have listened to our brief rewatch on The Clone Wars this last summer, you Mm. know I pick out all these little dark (laughs) themes. And one of them was, of course, when they get back to the village here in this episode, when they get back to this village, and the villagers are all mad because a war has been brought to them. And Rex's argument is like, well, look what they did to our friend. I mean, they stripped right. away his humanity and practically made him do something he didn't actually want to do. And then this is so painful to me because I'm just like, and you're about to go on a killing spree of Jedi. You're going to literally try to kill people that you are so used to working with because that's kind of what has been ingrained in their in their programming. And so it's just, I, I always pick out those little things. I don't know if they're intentional, but this to me, that's where my mind immediately went was, oh, but Order 66. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a fun insight because you have the benefit of, you know, knowing how all this plays out. But what's nice is that they've taken the time to make the, the clone sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You understand that, they don't really have a choice when that chip decides to start chirping. Uh, there's very few of them that had the wherewithal to figure out how to either resist it or get ahead of it by removing their chips or whatever it was. There's, there were very few exceptions to the rule. Like uh, mm-hmm. they can be as loyal and as noble and as, you know, well-intentioned. And when it came right down to it, that was out of their hands. Is it bittersweet and poetic to see really how they were used and abused in a way, you know, because of the, the nefarious things that go on behind the scenes with war. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a poignant thing to say in all that. So, uh, that's not lost on the writers of these episodes and obviously, you know, not lost on fans like yourself that, uh, love those little winks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that this episode also was a major payoff of the last two episodes. So the Mm -hmm. last two episodes have really shown off the skills and have exaggerated, you know, the techniques of the Bad Batch where they're kind of shouting out their different techniques to show that something's <laughs> intentional and it's not just by yeah. chance that they're doing these crazy things. And yeah. then in this one, we get a whole lot less of that. I don't think that we actually hear a maneuver, you know, broadcast over the intercom. It's just we see Rock Slide happen, which was from <laughs> yes. that, you know, that second episode. Uh, so, yeah, we really get to see in this final fight scene a lot of cool moves and in my opinion the best part of it was once again seeing what in my opinion what the clone wars does best is showing what it looked like for those years that the jedi worked with the clones and what some Mm -hmm. of these battle scenes would look like if you had you know a clone troop and a jedi working with you so yeah i really enjoyed every bit of this fight scene in this episode yeah it's it's interesting when you watch it there is very little dialogue in this whole, you know, third act of this episode, because they don't need it. You're right. They established everything up front and this isn't, you know, playing around. This isn't one upsmanship. Like we've got a handle on this so we can have a little bit of fun with these droids. This is serious, right? There's real lives at stake. We're protecting the village, you know, seven samurai style. Like there's, uh, more reason to be sober about the undertaking of trying to face down these walkers and, you know, an onslaught of droids that are, uh, a more, potent version of the droids than they're used to just cutting down, you know, effortlessly. So, um, you feel that you feel that everyone's in it. And I think I can't say this for certain, but one thing I picked up about this, uh, battle that I thought was kind of clever that I, I don't know, something that I connected with that I think may, may have been intentional when the battle kicks off and the walkers kind of descend upon them and everyone's still kind of on the ground, you know, like Anakin hasn't quite taken off to take down a walker. They haven't quite got their plan yet. They've just rolled the boulder. They're in the thick of it. They're kicking things off. 
they have this one long scene where the camera kind of meanders through the whole stage, through the whole scene, and it it turns and it pivots and it captures pretty much every one of our principal characters in sort of a hero pose, like mm-hmm. executing some sort of like awesome move and then sort of like standing there and basking in it for a, a hot second before getting back into it. And I thought if that isn't an Avengers homage, yeah. I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, I can't say for certain. And um, I'd have to go back and watch the previs again to see how much of this was actually planned out, you know, years and years ago, maybe before, people were thinking in terms of the Avengers sort of being something that's worth, you know, emulating, but I was getting like a serious, like hero moment Mm -hmm. situation there that you always see in the Avengers movies, right in the climax. So I don't know, maybe it's just good cinematography or good art direction. Uh, but yeah, that was a fun little moment. You're absolutely right. This was a fully realized uh, set piece that had some stakes. Everyone was at their best. There was some inventiveness in seeing these walkers, even though, you know, they had popped up, at yeah. one point in, I think, Revenge of the Sith, I think. Yes. Yeah. They well, were, I think we have seen them before. You know where they were? They were on the bridge that Kiati Mundi was on when he got taken down during yeah, Order 66. I believe that's right. I think that's who he was facing down at that point. Um, but you just get him like in the corner of the screen and now we get, you know, a legit battle with them. So uh, this was all fun. This was all great. Yeah, and the other thing it also does is I think it is totally setting the stage for Wrecker's death at some point in this season (laughs) or in the next few episodes. Because once again, it shows that he's not this, you know, just Hulk smash guy Mm -hmm. who's going to come in and just smash things because he likes having fun. But he's also going to protect those that that he's you know of course trying to protect one his team and then these innocent villagers that he's partially responsible for yeah. bringing the bringing this fight to them and he, he almost goes, gets a samson moment yeah right? like you called a few episodes back yeah yeah so he gets that that moment and he catches this leg and of course he doesn't have a plan at this point like you no. can tell he just kind of gets lucky yeah yeah he's improving uh yeah I think that that was a fun moment. I thought that that, again, like the running gag in this episode, at least for me watching it is like, oh, is this where, you mm-hmm. know, he's going to sacrifice himself? But no, his his brute strength and Anakin's dispatching of the droid and pushing it with the force kind of wins the day before he gets crushed there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, you're you're astute to to pick up on that. Every time there's an opportunity for a hero moment, like where a real life is on the line. Uh, they're not shying away from giving those to him, even though he was like the least sympathetic of the brute squad when we first met them. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think we are going to get some sort of a payoff for all that. Or what if he is, his chip is also disfigured. And so whenever it comes down to order 66, what if he sacrifices himself for a Jedi that lives? That's probably a far fetched one. We're getting into speculation with that, but Hey, <laughs> who knows? We'll see. Do we even know if uh, the bad batch have chips, right? Like, cause they're not really stock infantry, right? So they, they might not even have gone yeah. through that process. We don't know. This is absolutely true. So we'll see how this all ends for them. Now, the big thing here is how this is going to work out for Wat Tambor not reporting this to the Separatists. Like, this sure. has to work out perfectly for him, right? Like, no no consequence here. No, no, because, you know, people that cross Dooku, they never get their comeuppance. So uh, we don't like Wat Tambor. I mean, he, he seems like a genuinely, you know, selfish, evil dude. So uh, whatever befalls him for this failure to recover the, the you know, the prize intel, um, I'm OK with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to see where, where we go with that. Yeah. And then uh, this episode ends with this 
weird exchange. Mm -hmm. It seems like a normal exchange, you know, because, of course, I think Rex is still in a bit of denial about Echo's case. I think he's on the high that we just saved Echo. He's alive. He's aware. His memory is coming back to him and kind of forgets about everything else. But this exchange here is where Rex makes a comment like, yeah, it's just like old times. And echo like in it you also get kind of the score of this episode goes to a more serious not necessarily dark but definitely a mysterious type of score and echo kind of looks off into the distance and says yeah just like old times so Mm -hmm. what's going on with echo well, I don't think we're supposed to know that at this point. Okay. Obviously, that is that is the question we're supposed to be asking as this episode fades out. Um, I don't think they they hit that point as hard on the work prints. I'd have to go back and check, but maybe it's just the score that they put behind it that, like you said, it strikes like a really ominous, foreboding tone. Um, or maybe they re-recorded that so that his delivery was a little bit more. You know, it 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 gets you questioning what he's actually alluding to. Uh, I'm not really sure where we're going with that. You know, we're going to have to wait and see. It could be something along the lines of he was jacked into the system. So maybe he knows about the chips. Maybe he knows how this is all going to go down. Yeah. That could be, maybe he's just been in that, you know, situation so long that he's just shell shocked and weary and he's over this war and he knows he can never be the person he was before. And he just feels like a part of his humanity has been stripped away. You know, like he just feels broken. Like it could be something like that. So I don't know if it's the emotion of it or if he honestly knows, you know, (laughs) dark days are coming. Mm -hmm. Well, and then the next thing, so you have the, this techno army, this techno team that disfigures echo to this point. And they're Mm -hmm. prodding around, they're poking around at him. They had to have found this chip. And, if they found it in this process, this would also make Echo aware because I'm thinking this is like classic horror movie style, whereas they're poking and prodding, Echo is aware of what's happening to him. Um, Could be, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think you're onto something with that as far as that he, I think he does know how this is going down. I think he, or at least is somewhat, maybe it's like kind of nightmarish where he has a hunch. He maybe has has seen the code and what it asks and kind of like mm-hmm. interpreted the code while he was under. Maybe it's something like that. And he's kind of in nightmare mode where he's like, yeah, I don't think this is like, this can't be true. This is a separatist trying to trick me or whatever it is going down with that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I'm interpreting what's going on with Echo. I think he's going to definitely play a bigger part in this because of sure. course, it's his helmet that we see in all of the marketing when they first announced Clone Wars safe. So we know his part is going to extend. We're going to see it into his story, at least. Like, you definitely think that's going to be a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, we're obviously not done with this. They wouldn't leave the episode on such an ominous note if there wasn't a payoff. You know, that that was Chekhov's musical cue. So uh, we're definitely going to get some resolution to exactly who echo is now and what that means for our, you know, our band of heroes. Um, I'm excited. I don't remember very much about the next work print. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that I saw it, but there's very little that's coming to mind. So at this point I, I feel like I'm officially unshackled. Like, I'm excited for the next episode because I, I don't remember where they're going or whether they're still sticking closely to uh, what they had before. So uh, yeah, it's anyone's guess and uh, I'll be tuning in to find out. So what is your biggest takeaway on this episode? I guess my hot take is like, 
fitting third act of uh, the first arc of season seven. This felt like Clone Wars. Like this is in top form. This this goes toe to toe with the best of the series. Uh, so even though this episode on its own, uh, you know, it, it didn't establish a whole lot of new stuff or or do anything that we haven't seen many times over. You know, like the natives rallying for the cause with our heroes. Like, uh, you know, there's there's a lot here that's more familiar than groundbreaking. But it continues to say, hey, this show still feels good. The show is still a fun watch and um, they still are laying it out in arcs, which is great. You know, so you have to kind of look at this as a piece. And as a piece, these first three episodes, I feel like were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it gets us back into Clone Wars mode. That's kind of how I felt <laughs> yes. about everything. It's yeah, from it's our moose bouche. Yeah. From the very first episode, we're back in Clone Wars mode. We're now at this third act of this, of at least the first act of the season. And we get to see the war. We get to see what's going on, the nitty grittiness, the the darkness that's kind of been missing from Star Wars television the past couple of years since Disney has been working on our new trilogy. And since uh, Rebels has ended, this has been the getting back on track with the seriousness sure. and that, yeah, we're you're going to see a little more people off uh, than <laughs> than maybe Star Wars resistance. So for yeah. me, I'm in full on Clone Wars mode. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to see the next episodes. I am so ready for uh, these next episodes. Now, a disclaimer about the next episode. Our next episode of Star Wars TV Talk might be a little late because I'm going to be out of town uh, for Mm. next week, and that's going to disrupt our recording. So join us back in two weeks. So for this two weeks, John, where can the people find you? Well, if they need something to put in their podcast app while they're waiting for our triumphant return, where we cover the next two episodes in one episode, right? We're not going to be delayed a week from here on out. We're going to do a catch up episode, get back on track when you're back in town. But uh, if anyone is uh, looking for something to listen to and they enjoy Saturday Night Live, uh, as our regular listeners are no doubt well aware at this point, I do the Saturday Night Live podcast. This coming weekend, we've got Daniel Craig, James Bond himself stopping by. Uh, to host the episode we're going to be covering that and uh, that'll drop early next week so we would love anyone that's into snl come check it out snlpodcast.com and then you can of course find other tv talk podcasts at tvtalk.fm and if you want to keep up with our show you can follow us on twitter at star wars tv talk and by emailing us at hello at star wars tv talk.com you can find the rest of our episodes at star wars tv talk.com and by searching for star wars tv talk wherever you get your podcast and please do not forget to leave us a five-star review thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always